May we all stand in prayer, please. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for, for this wonderful day. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to open the book, the Bible, your word, to study in front of everybody. And we thank you also, Lord, for bringing us together in one room with different cultures and different languages in one room. And again, thank you for, for your word. As today is the beginning of the Holy Week, we would like to talk and discuss about you know, how you came about coming into Jerusalem and what happened during that time. And that we may recall and be able to understand and apply it in our lives and what represents everything that happened during that day. Um, this past week, it has been a challenge in, in my case, both uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. Everything was a challenge while preparing for this message. Um, honestly, I think I need to learn Persian language too. Because my car broke down, I had to bring it to a guy who who speaks uh, Persian too. So <laughs> he's a really great guy. Anyway, it's one of those things that when you are called to do something for the Lord, something happens and everything breaks down. Um, so it was something, but it's it's actually calling for Ahoshiana. I was asking for help. It was perfectly so done. So, I would like to read again the scripture and and see in Matthew 11, sorry, Matthew 21, 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to the Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her caught by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill the what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion. See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them. One action. And and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches. This is what we have here in front. This is the actual palm tree branch. Um, and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, 
Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazar- of, from Nazareth in Galilee. Uh, when James started reading about that scripture, I said, Oh, I'm, my job is done. He already preached the gospel. And that was it. Because it is who he is. But before anything else, we would like to discuss what happened that day. What are the people's actions during that time? And if you are in that location too, who will be you? Okay? Disciples, what did they do? They placed their cloaks on the donkey. The crowds, they spread their cloaks on, on, the, on the road. Um, they shouted, or firstly, they were waving palm branches. Okay? As Hashem seen the kids, I think it was really good to see the kids to be involved. They shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then the question of, who is this man? If something ha- happens the same way here in Montreal, I believe you will ask the same question. Who is this man? And they answered, for those who knew him from the beginning and from the start, and who knew what is happening and could have read the Old Testament scriptures, this is Jesus, the prophet in Naz- from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, what are palm branches? I mean, as we can see, it's a simple-looking branch. Really, a simple-looking branch. There's really nothing to pure green. You know, no other color but pure green. But it symbolizes a lot of things. And basically, it symbolizes goodness and victory. Um, it often is depicted in coins or on coins and important buildings. In um, King Solomon, in, when he built the temple, First Kings uh, 6.29, it says, On the walls around the temple, in both the inner and the outer rooms, he carved cherubims palm trees and open flowers. It's always been part of a royalty if you look at it. And then in the future, see this. When Pastor mentioned earlier in the prayer, um, we were in a room about the kids' involvement okay, with the palm tree. It was, it's really neat. But in the future, in Revelation, this is what you will see. And this will be our job, okay, when we are with the Lord. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, like what we have here, every tribe, every people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, They were wearing white robes and what are they holding? Palm branches 
in their hands. So you could imagine the kids and you all together, white robes, praising the Lord, and that's the only thing you will do the whole day. Okay? You don't need to think about lunch. Just praising the Lord, and this is in Revelation, the future that we see. Palm branches, as simple as it is, and yet it's very meaningful, very symbolic. Hosanna. You're shouting Hosanna. What does it mean? Hosanna and Hoshiana is basically a progression. Hoshiana is um, only seen in Psalm 118.25. If you don't mind, we could go to Psalm 125. Oh, sorry, 118, verse 25. And you will see, what does it say? O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, or from the house of the Lord, we bless you. Okay, it's asking for help. That is Hoshiana. And quite amazingly so, uh, the word Hosanna has evolved from asking help to having to do with the Lord. This is the help. This is who he is. And that's what Hosanna means. So, for us, are you still in the Hoshiana? Or are you now supposed to be in the Hosanna? The word Hosanna, in Latin, you just take away the H, so it's Hosanna. In Greek, it's actually Hosanna by itself. So the English language just took H O. S-A-N-N-A. That's it. It adapted. It is from the Hebrew, from a Hebrew language, and related to Aramaic, meaning save, rescue, savior. In the Hebrew Bible, what we know as the Old Testament, we, as what we read, it is used only in the verse that Psalm 118.25, help, or save, I pray. And as we know, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So whenever you find Hosanna that occurs in the Old Testament, it relates to our Lord as being the Savior himself. He is already the Savior. If you see the difference in um, Psalm uh, 118, it says immediately, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But if you go to Matthew 21, what does it say? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The son of David our Lord Jesus Christ is already the help. It's just a matter for us to accept that help. Hoshiana, 
The meaning changed over the years. In the psalm, it was immediately followed by the exclamation, which is, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry for help, Hoshiana, was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. And over the centuries, the phrase Hoshiana stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews. Instead, it became a shout of hope, and exaltation. It used to mean save, please, but gradually to mean salvation, salvation, salvation has come. So Hosanna is really meaning salvation is here. So which one do you want to cry out? Hoshiana or Hosanna? When you are beaten up by somebody, you should be crying Hoshiana because there's no help yet, right? But in our salvation, Hosanna is the way to go because Christ already did the job for us. Um, I would like to read a, uh, like the references the pastor gave me, which is really quite helpful. Um, this is from uh, Craig, uh, Craig Blumberg. Because the next question that you will see in the scripture is the, the, the question is, who is this? They're asking, who is this? Right now, if you ask me, like right now, if you ask me, who is this, then I'll be very doubtful that you understood the gospel. Because we already know. Who is this? Who is this does not imply that the people has never seen Jesus before or do not know his name. This is from Craig. Though many in town from outside of Israel may not have encountered him previously, but in Matthew, it is more interested in raising the Christological question again the predominantly Galilean crowd replies truthfully, but inadequately. We may be in the same boat of asking, who is Christ? Even though we know him, we read him, we study, who is Christ in our lives? Is he just the background? Is he just uh, the Hoshiana in our lives? Or is he really our Hosanna in our lives? Another one, another comment from, or uh, um, a commentary from William Hendrickson. By means of this triumphant, uh, triumphal entry, Jesus fills the messianic prophecy of Zechariah uh, 9:9, which we had before. When the people hail him as the son of David, okay, example, the Messiah, he does not try to restrain them, okay, he did not. However, he also shows the crowds what kind of Messiah he is. Namely, not the early Messiah of Israel's dream and the one who wages war against an earthly oppressor, but the one who came to promote and establish the things that make for peace. You can see that in Luke 19.42. Lasting peace. Reconciliation between God 
and man and between a man and his fellow man. Now, we want to go through who was Jesus in the crowd and we'll define each. Who was Jesus? What are the people's expectations about Jesus when he was coming in? For the disciples, they're expecting him to be the triumphant Jesus. Like a winner. Always, um, you know, he's, he's a winner. I'll, I'll be with him. You know, he, he's known. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's the, uh, what you call the bandwagon. Okay, he, I'll follow him. They wanted a triumphant Jesus. They began following Jesus when the crowds were crowding around him. Their heads were full of self-seeking visions. They wondered aloud which of them would be allowed to sit at his right hand. And when he came into his kingdom, or, or who, you know, what will we come to his kingdom? They were thinking of what they will get, not realizing the cost. It must have been a powerful time to be one of the chosen twelve. Imagine you're a cho- chosen twelve. You're one of the gang. You're with Jesus, everybody following Jesus, or in a crowd, and you're one of the twelve. Right? And we're so used to that. These men were the true believers. Simon Peter spoke for them all when he boldly proclaimed, Caesarea in Philippi, thou art the Christ. They expected Jesus to be accepted quickly by every Jewish person. He would be greater than David. But Jesus kept up his negative talk about his death. He kept hinting that persecution would be what's going to happen to them. Imagine you're one of the twelve, you have this idol, and then you're following him, but he keeps on telling you, no, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. If you follow me, you will be persecuted. Who will be funny with joining that such an idol of your life, but at the end of the day, you will be persecuted? And they can't believe that. Uh, it's not about glory in the earthly way. Um, Jesus' vision was in a suffering servant, not in a triumphant one. And he made clear that following him meant taking up a cross. The disciples wanted the triumphant Messiah, but Jesus disappointed them. Who was Jesus for the crowds? They expect him to be a super marvel. You know, I think there will be the last marvel, something that's going to come up soon, and totally amazing people, the young ones especially, my kids are waiting for that, and I'm involved with that. But we always expect somebody to be Superman, a marvel, a superhero, miracle. You know, uh, we have this, we put on the grass, a miracle grower. It's like immediately it's there. Right? We want an immediate solution to, to everything. Marvelous. They probably loved the fact that he taught in parables that were easier to understand than the obscure reasoning they heard from the Pharisees. When you hear, when the crowds listen to Jesus about parables and, and stories and 
They were, they were lovable stories. They are easy, easily understood than the laws and this and about from the Pharisees and the scribes. They were attracted to him because he was energetic, self-motivated leader. They liked it when he put the religious leaders in their places. You know, they, they see this one up. Jesus rebukes the religious leaders. Whoa, you got it. It's yours. You deserve it. So these are the crowd. Uh, the crowds um, jammed around him when they saw him healing the lame because he was doing all these lovable miracles and the crowd loved it. You know, the blind and the sick, you know, the sick, the, the sick. And they demanded for more, but they must have been especially disappointed. Um, uh, when, when Jesus performed a miracle in, in the book of Mark and then told them to tell no one about it. Remember, he was performing a miracle, but they tell them, please don't tell anybody. I'm not into that. But what did they do? They did the reverse. Because they're always waiting for the glory and to be, for them to be known. The crowds wanted to marvel Jesus, but he disappointed them. Who was Jesus for the zealots? They wanted a fighting Jesus. They wanted a warrior. Somebody who can create terrorism and, and take away the Roman Empire. The zealots are basically... A, a, a separate group, in a way, uh, I think from the from the Jewish, and they didn't want the rule of the, the the Roman Empire, and they want to go against them through sword, war, anything that you can make uh, name it. The zealots were, the, as I said, the radical nationalists who were ready to use force, even terrorism, to overthrow the cruel hand of the Roman government. One of Jesus' disciples was called Simon the Zealot. The Jewish loyalists were always on the edge of rebellion. These followers expected Jesus to take up a sword and call his followers to arms at any moment. It's like, anytime, Lord, we're with you. Just say it. They were expecting this from Jesus. They clearly wanted to be the leader to be in the resistance movement. Okay? When Jesus came to Jerusalem and cleansed the temple by force, which is the next verses if you go forward, they must have whispered to one another to gather the troops. This is the time. We see now Christ being, you know, being strong physically, you know, taking away all these vendors. This is the time. But they failed. Again, In Luke 19.11, Jesus said, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And he said, All who draw the sword will die by the sword. He's not into that. The zealots wanted a fighting Jesus, but he disappointed them. The religious leaders... They wanted to have a sacramental Jesus. 
anything that's ritual that will you know be like them in a sense but with no heart they thought the most important matter of religions was to be found not in how they believed or prayed but in how they dressed and washed and ate it's all a show jesus hated that that's why they he always rebuked them if you notice the only words that i could understand from jesus to the religious leaders is woe to you that's the only thing is like woe to you hypocrites and nothing else they their greatest fear was that their whole culture the leaders would be absorbed into the culture of the the roman hellenic world at that time so they emphasized the following that the, the thousands little details that kept them distinctly jewish the everyday rituals were the way they could keep themselves pure and unique that's who they are and i think we still have that at present time they keep so much not only in the jewish culture but in any culture they we they keep the tradition keep what's what's all be everything ritual to keep them preserved not knowing that actually that's nothing for god and nothing for jesus now jesus often broke the rules that the pharisees had set set up anyways right he broke their laws for the sabbath ate with the unclean and defied their laws of purification the religious leaders wanted a sacramental jesus but he disappointed them now what is god's expectation jesus expected everything to materialize all these things that they were expecting he was expecting to happen his he knows their heart as it is written and that is why we are led to this picture we were led for him dying on the cross to carry all those mistakes all those scenes since that they have as being wanting and being a hypocrite being not transparent denying Christ so many times I mean all these sins that man have from before till now to present to die on the cross this is the expectation from his side but it does not stop from here we know that it does not stop from here you will see that later so jesus christ expected that those people who shouted hosanna after their expectations were not met shouted crucify him crucify him only a few days later same people but those who did not especially those who did not meet their expectations a disciple 
from the zealot background betrayed him. A high priest or religious people, you know, they, they really don't like Jesus anyways from the beginning. So what else is expected? And another disciple, Peter, one of the closest ones, denying him three times. Now, what about us? I think it's a song, but no. What about us? What do we expect? Do we want a marvel Jesus? Or a sacramental Jesus? Do we want a fighting Jesus? Do we want a triumphant Jesus? What do we want? We need to analyze that ourselves and answer that question. Individually, we have the responses. I cannot answer for you, but individually you will have. Are we one of those four expecting who Christ in our lives? Could be partial, like we want always to be triumphant anyways. But define exactly what you want from Jesus. Who is Jesus for, for us? Are we looking for a savior so we can shout Hosanna? The real meaning of Jesus' life and death and resurrection is that he came and died for us. For God so loved the world, memory verse, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It really doesn't matter what the crowds were looking for. It doesn't matter what the religious leaders, the zealots, or the disciples were looking for. The real meaning of Palm Sunday is between us and God. What kind of Jesus are we looking for? We still ask the question, who is this? And our answer makes all the difference. Now, the answer is, you know, we know that Christ died for us. And, and, and what, was, what must we do? What do we have to do? First, we go to read Romans 5, 8, saying, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still or yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that true? Yes. God reached out to us through his son, Jesus Christ. His death on the cross was a demonstration of his great love in spite of our sinfulness. The way has been made clear and the bridge of life has been, uh, has been made. He is our bridge to God. That is who Christ is. He's not the fighter. He's, he's not, he is our bridge to, to a broken relationship between God the Father and us. God has provided a way for our salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. Being symbolized by the palm tree, by the cloak, 
and honestly by the donkey. There is no other way to be saved but through Christ. In all honesty, the only truthful part of the crowd during that time, this is my personal view, is the donkey. He was carrying the Savior. He was so humble with his strength, being a donkey, carrying the Savior, putting all those cloaks on on top of him, still carry the Savior. What we must do, in Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, as we see on the screen, and turn to God that our sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now that the way has been made clear for us to take, we must repent from our sins and believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance requires sincerity in our heart of a person who wants to turn away from the corruption of sin. It requires a voluntary change of heart through the grace of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the believers. Through repentance, a person experiences a personal renewal and inward transformation. What else do we need to do? Receive God's Son. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become who? Children of God. Uh, Do we want to be called children of God? Uh, Last week, I was pulled to the 10, 11, 12-year-old kids in that room. Some Sunday school teachers may find it uh, amazing. Some may find it it's a crazy crowd. The brains that these kids have, it's amazing. They ask questions that you will be surprised and you will be challenged. You think you know everything about the Bible and know all the answers? Go to that room and they will ask questions that you will be amazed and you need to go back again to basics. They're so amazing. I'm... A question we're in, I cannot understand why there is three persons in one God. Can you explain that to those kids without destroying their belief or their faith? And then you have to explain it to the parents. What you have explained to them. Because you might mislead them and you'll be blamed. You are responsible to your teaching to these children. That's why we pray for them. We pray also for the teachers. Because that's how the responsibility is. They're so amazing. Um, There's one hard question. that It was really a challenge. I didn't have a format uh, at that time. It was an emergency in a sense. But we went back to basic as to discussing about the Bible and explaining to them who Christ is. What's the Old and New Testament? Who wrote the New and New Old Testament? How was it written? Um, how did it? How was it written? I mean, who wrote the Bible? 
Those are the questions being thrown at you. Because it was an open discussion. I didn't have a format. But I let them talk and discuss. It was fun. Because you have to answer and you are also learning yourself at the same time. This is the message for us. Receive God. That's the only way you can, you, if you can receive your children with their questions in their heart. What's wrong with receiving Christ in your heart? He gave the right to become children of God. This repentance is accompanied by receiving Christ to dwell in the heart of a person. By doing so, you will be able to answer those little children because Christ is in your heart and the Holy Spirit is in your heart. This then is the new birth experience when we receive the inheritance of becoming a child of God. No longer enemies. No longer a crowd who at the end of the day will shout, crucify him. Instead, you'll continue on saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. This is the plan of salvation that Christ initiated for us to be redempted. We are like the donkey that should be loosened from the slavery of sin and bought and brought to the Lord. The donkey was tied up. We are donkeys when we're tied up with our sins. It will only be loosened when we go face to face and approach the Lord for us to be released. Praise God, we have been set free from the slavery and the condemnation of sin and that is represented by the last slide that I will show you. The last slide has an empty cross. Christ is not there. This is the completion of our Christianity. This is the completion of the promise of God to us. An empty tomb, an empty cross, where Christ now dwells in the Father, but also can dwell in each and every heart if you only go to him and accept him. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this message. We would like to analyze and actually check ourselves in terms of who do you want who do we want you to be in our lives a fighter for us a marvel marvelous person a, or god a, a triumphant person a, i mean all this expectation that the crowd at that time and i believe even now people are expecting you to be a superman in, our, in their lives were in that's not they missed the point 
the Jewish missed the point at that time. And that's why you offered the gospel to the Gentiles. And some of them even missed the point too. But a lot of them accepted and understood what you, what you meant as far as who you are for us. Hosanna, Hosanna. Salvation is here. You are our salvation. You are our Hosanna. Hoshiana is not there anymore. It's now a Hosanna. Again, we thank you and we praise you for these words. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to read again Revelation 7 9 because it's really exciting for us to know. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. No one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palms, branches in their hands. Just imagine that. For those who are still missing the boat, who still doesn't want who Hosanna is, please do so. It is important. For our benediction, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden from for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey Him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.